Welcome to the Sunday Morning Podcast. We are glad that you are here to deepen and grow in your relationship with Christ. Today's message is brought to us by Cody Scholes, Orchard's Youth Director. Good morning. If I've never met you, my name's Cody. I'm the Youth Director here at Orchard, and it's my pleasure to be opening God's Word with you this morning. But before we dive in, I had a quick story. There once was this very lazy man who always looked for the easiest ways to do things in life. And one day he was looking for something to eat and he came across this fruit farm. And so thinking there'd be no harm in it, he hops the fence and he goes and he starts to climb a tree. And the farmer comes out, sees the man climbing the tree and he starts towards him. And afraid, this lazy man jumps out of the tree and runs into a nearby forest. And while passing through the forest, this lazy man sees something incredible. There's this two-legged fox that is just kind of hobbling through the forest. And he's thinking, wow, how can it be that this fox is alive in such a condition? He can't run. How is he able to feed himself? Well, shortly after, there's this lion that appears. And it's got a piece of meat in its mouth. And all the forest animals start to run from this lion, but the fox can't. And the lazy man, only being concerned for himself, jumps up in a tree. And he's going to watch what happens next. Oddly enough, and incredibly enough, the lion comes and he drops this piece of meat in front of the fox. And he goes on his way. And the lazy man, watching this all play out, thinks how wonderful it is that God, the creator of all things, always has a plan to take care of what he created. He also felt that if God had something planned for this creature, then surely there must be a plan for him. And so he resolves that he is going to go and sit next to the nearest road and wait for someone to provide for him. (laughs) And he sits there for two days before he gets so frustrated and upset that surely enough, he gets up and he goes on his way. Well, then he comes across a wise man and he starts to tell him all about this incredible thing that he saw in the forest with the lion feeding the fox. And he talks about how cruel it is that while God had mercy on this fox, he was so mean to me that he wouldn't also provide for me and everything that I need. And the wise man feeds him and he gives him water while he's saying this. And then when he's done, the wise man says, with a smile on his face, he says, you missed it. God doesn't want you to be like the fox. He wants you to be like the lion. I picked this story because we often, I think, have that same tendency to look at God and say, what can you do for me? How can you meet my needs? How can I be dependent upon you. But the reality is, is that God is calling us to partner with him and to live out our faith in our work. And today, as we dive into our passage, this is going to be the key things that the book of James is trying to demonstrate to us, that our faith and our works are inseparably linked. And that when we come to faith, there is a transformation that happens in us where we no longer only function based on the way that we once lived, 
but instead we choose to behave differently from that of the world. We have a new mindset that is characterized by Christ, and that is seen in our work. But before we dive in, I want to open in a moment of prayer. Please pray with me. Dear Heavenly Father, God, I pray that you would be with us this morning. I pray that you would be guiding us in our understanding of your word, and I pray that you would be with me as we work our way through a difficult passage. Lord, as we approach the book of James, I just ask that you would be guiding us into a real and practical faith. In your name we pray, amen. So as we've been traveling through the book of James, Pastor Matt has been quick to point out that James is teaching a faith that is for everyone. It's a real faith for real people. So what does that mean? What do, what do we think about when we think about it? And that the reality is that this is for all of us. This isn't for some sort of spiritual elite or some people that have somehow achieved some, side, some sort of insider information. This is for everyone. And so as we dive into our passage today, the reality is, is that James is going to call us to something that isn't particularly difficult, but what it is, is uncomfortable. And so as we are called into this potentially new and uncomfortable teaching, what we have to reckon with is are we going to get out of our own way? If we are rubbing up against this and it's like, man, God, this isn't something I want to face. This isn't something I want to do. You're calling me to something that I don't feel comfortable with. Are we able to get out of our own way? And so if you would, we're going to open up to James chapter 2, verses 14 through 26, and we're going to start reading where James writes, What good is it, my brothers, if a man claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such a faith save him? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to him, Go, I wish you well. Keep warm and well-fed, but does nothing about his physical needs. What good is it? And in the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, and I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by what I do. You believe that there is one God. Good. Even the demons believe that, and shudder. You foolish man. Do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our ancestor Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together, and his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness and he was called God's friend. You see that a person is justified by what they do and not by faith alone. In the same way, was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in the wrong direction? As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. 
So as we dive into our passage, one of the key things that I want us to keep in mind is that James is writing so that we can understand that faith and work are intrinsically linked from his perspective, right? We cannot, when we, when we talk about faith, we talk about a faith that leads us into action from James's perspective, and we cannot separate faith from that action. And so as we dive in, he sets this up, he tees this up by asking a question in verse 14. He says, what good is it, my brothers, if a man claims to have faith but no deeds? Can such a faith save him? And it's interesting because just the way he asks the question tells you what he thinks the answer is. And I think if you ask James, this kind of faith, a faith without deeds, is a faith that leads you to sitting on the sideline, to sitting on the couch, and expecting others to step in when needs arise. And that this kind of faith is a kind of faith that comes without any kind of transformation. It's a faith that comes without any kind of progression from who you once were before you knew Christ to who Christ is turning you into. It's a faith that says God exists, but that has little to no impact on me or my situation. And so as we dive into this, we are going to see that the transforming faith that he wants for all of us is a kind of faith that prompts us to action, a faith that prompts us to know God's word, to spend time daily in prayer, and to serve those around us, filling need as we see them. And so in verse 15, James raises an example. I imagine a gathering like this when I read this, this verse where we're all gathered together and we see a brother or sister whose clothing is potentially falling apart, non-existent, and who's obviously starving. And upon having a conversation with this person, because I think in his example, he, he, where he starts is he says, go in peace, which identifies that there may have been a conversation already happening. And so we're having a conversation with this person, and we're obviously aware of the needs that they have, because at the end of the conversation, we say, go in peace, be warm and filled. And so we desire for their needs to be met, but do nothing to meet those needs, what good is that, he asks. In fact, I could say how very cruel and out of touch is that to recognize that someone, that a brother or sister, in fact, would have a need and that we would recognize it but do nothing to help with it. For surely we have some sort of ability to meet that need, whether it's to forgo part of our meal or lunch to give it to them. Perhaps we have an extra shirt in the back of our closet that we could give. And Paul is raising this point that, hey, we are capable and we are able. And so where we are capable and able, we should be serving one another in love. And so he says, what good is it? Is this a transforming faith? And in verse 17, he summarizes verses 14 through 16 and clarifies something very important about his own view on the topic. When he is to say that faith and works are intrinsically linked. The Apostle Paul taught 
that there was no pre-conversion works needed for salvation. This is true, right? When you read the book of Romans, it says, hey, you do not have to do anything to earn salvation. That is absolutely the case. What James is making clear and what James is writing to us today is that in a post-conversion state, you've already said, God, I believe in you and you have already been saved. That the outpouring of your faith, the exercise of your faith would lead you to do good works, to lead you to do works of love in which you serve those around you. And that in James's perspective, to do so, as he states here at the end of verse 17, is to label it a faith that is dead, lifeless, or useless. And if this is not strong enough, James continues to argue his point by raising an imaginary opponent, someone who he thinks might raise some objections to the ideas that he is portraying here in his letter. And this imaginary opponent starts by stating in verse 18, where he says, some will say, you have faith and I have works. And so this imaginary opponent that he is creating has the opposite perspective of him, right? Whereas his perspective is that faith and works are connected, this imaginary opponent says, you have faith, I have works, they're different. It's okay, they're separate. And James's goal is to see, is to expose why this is inconsistent, why this doesn't match up with the teaching of Scripture, why it doesn't follow. And so James isn't having it. And James's immediate response to raising this idea of, hey, some may say, you have faith and I have works, is to say, show me your faith without works. Show me your faith without works. Because I speaking for James, will show you my faith by my works. My works become the evidence of my faith in his perspective. And this idea is held up by the teachings of Jesus, I think, as well as the teachings of Paul. In John 15, Jesus teaches, abide in me and you will bear much fruit. In pursuing Jesus and maintaining a relationship with him, we see that it produces something in us. The Apostle Paul teaches about the fruit of the Spirit that is evident in the life of a believer. And the idea that when we follow God, it produces in us good fruit, similar to John 15. Well, James is arguing along the same lines, and his point is that in faith, we produce good works, works of love and service to those around us, to our communities, to our neighbors, and that this is the evidence of our faith. And in verse 19, it is fascinating because James, in setting up this imaginary opponent, appeals to one last desperate attempt that this opponent might make when he says, you believe that there is one God. Good. An Old Testament Jew hearing that would not just have heard a statement of fact, but would have heard the Old Testament Shema. Some of the earliest teachings. And 
they would have heard this and been like, this is a mental ascent that we all would have known as an Old Testament Jew hearing this in, jo in James's day. But to James, I think it is fair to argue that faith is more than just a mental ascent. Faith is more than just knowing all the right answers. Faith is more than just knowing all the teachings of Scripture. Faith is about being prompted to action. Is it good to know all of the teachings? Yes. Is it enough? No. And to prove his point, he potentially goes to one of the most offensive places he could go. And he says, even the demons know that there is one God. And they shudder. His point is that even the demons know that there is one God. Even the demons can have right theology, right? They have right head knowledge about who God is. But faith is more than about knowing. Faith is about being prompted to action. And so he begins to push us and continue to push us to a lifestyle geared by serving those around us. And as he does so, I begin to see this idea of replicating the lifestyle of Jesus. A man who came with every gift, every perfect, everything about him was perfect, and yet he chose to live out his days serving in the same way that I think James is pushing us to serve today. And so in verse 20, though, I think James might take it a little too far. Because this imaginary opponent that he's erected, I think he goes as far as to insult him when he says, you foolish man, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Another way of understanding that sentence is to say, do you even want to consider that faith and works are intrinsically connected? Are you even willing to consider that you might be wrong on this point? And as I hear him say this, the gut punch that it is, is that I have to sit here and go, am I willing to consider where I might be wrong? Am I willing to consider that I might have missed it, that I might be choosing comfort over a life of faith lived out in good works? You see, I believe that the Christian life, we never reach perfection until we are standing next to God in glory. And I believe that in our time here on earth, we go through this process called sanctification. And, and sanctification is a fancy word that simply means becoming more like Christ. And so as we live on this earth, our goal is to become more and more like Christ with the understanding that we're never quite going to get there until we stand next to him in glory. And the thing that I think stands in the way of the process of sanctification more than anything else is ourselves. When I hold on to that mentality that I have it figured out, that I have all the answers, that I am doing things perfect, I erect a barrier to my own spiritual growth and development. And so when James asks, are you willing to consider the ways that you still have to grow in verse 20, it comes as a gut punch. Because I think we'd much rather go, I have it all figured out, I don't have to grow anymore. Because growing by nature is uncomfortable, and it can be difficult. 
Well, in verse 21, to continue his argument, to continue to argue for the idea of faith and works being inseparably linked, he brings up what's going to be two examples. He starts with the example of Abraham, right? And Abraham was the father of the Israelites. He was a moral man held in high esteem, and he was someone that was looked on very positively by Jewish culture in the day, right? And by contrast, he also brings up this woman, Rahab, who was a prostitute, immoral uh, by profession. She would have been looked on lowly by society. And James is going to take these two people, and he's going to take specific moments in time in which they chose to operate on faith and to have that influence their choices and decisions and how they behaved and acted and say it was credited to them as righteousness and that you could see their faith in their works. And his point in selecting these two different people is he picks someone who would have been a low part of society, someone whose society would not have looked on very well, and he picks someone who would have been looked upon highly within society. Because as the, the, this style of argument goes, it's, it's from the lowest to the greatest and everyone in between. Our faith is seen in our works. So what specific examples does he dive into with, with Abraham? Well, we learn in verse 21 when he references the fact that Abraham was asked to sacrifice his son. If you know the story of Abraham and Sarah, his wife, they waited a very long time to have their son, only to have God ask Abraham to then sacrifice his son on an altar. Now, if you don't know the end of the story, I'm going to spoil it for you. He saves Isaac at the very last moment, the son, and produces a ram instead for Abraham to slaughter for the sacrifice. And the fact that Abraham was willing to hold nothing before God James says that that was fulfilled what was said in Genesis 15, verse 6, when it says, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. And James's point is this, that in our good works, our faith is perfected, which is a way of saying we are continuously being sanctified. And when we say yes, to God, and when we continue to work out our faith in good works, our faith itself is being strengthened and perfected. But in verse 24, James says something that's a little bit troublesome. He says, you see that a person is justified by what he does and not by faith alone. We mentioned it a little bit earlier, but if you're familiar with some Pauline theology or, or the theology of the Apostle Paul, this is troublesome because the book of Romans teaches that we are justified by faith alone. So what could James be saying here? What could he mean? How can we resolve this tension that exists? And, and one of the solutions that expositors suggest is that the answer is found in the focus of the two writers. 
if we were to compare them to medical disciplines, Paul is concerned with obstetrics. And obstetrics is new life, right? It is bringing someone into the faith in particular in this case. It is the beginning of a relationship with God. And he wants to be clear, Paul wants to emphasize that, hey, you are not saved by faith alone. You don't have to do anything to earn God's love. God loves you already, completely, fulfilledly. There's nothing you can do to escape God's love. And his goal is that you would turn to God in faith. James, when he says you are justified by works, he is coming at it from the perspective of pediatrics and geriatrics, right? He is concerned with how the Christian life matures and ages. You have come to faith. You have received salvation. Let us work on the perfection of your faith through good works. And so in James's eye, justification is bringing a person's faith to maturity and completion. It is not about legal standing before God. And so we come to our second example, the example of Rahab in verse 25. And the moment that James refers to when he speaks of Rahab is this moment where there's a couple of Israelite spies who come to stay with her in Jericho. And the king of Jericho finds out that she is housing these spies, and he sends men to, to apprehend and arrest them. And when they come to the house, she hides the spies upstairs. And she opens the door, and she tells the men coming to apprehend them, hey, they were here. I didn't know who they were, but they've already left. They've headed that way. If you take off after them, you can probably catch them. And so the men go on their way, and she sends them off in the wrong direction. This woman, who would have been of low repute within society, served God's people in a way that she could. She cared for them, protected them, and it says that this was credited to her as righteousness. Her faith was perfected in her works. And so as we bring our time to a close here in God's word, I want us to consider what James says in verse 26. As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. And how he is pushing us and challenging us to get in the game, to not sit idly on the sidelines waiting for someone else to meet the needs that we see arise, but how he sees us stepping up, getting in the game. Today is Super Bowl Sunday. And no matter which side of the fence you're on, who you want to see the win or who your salty didn't win, Patrick Mahomes played a heck of a game two weeks ago. For a man dealing with a high ankle sprain, he said, I'm going to do everything I can to help my team win this game. And I think there's a certain level of respect because he could have sat idly by and just said, no, I'm just going to preserve myself and my own body in this moment, and I'm only going to worry about me. If you don't know, he also happens to be a man of faith. Not saying that has anything to do with his decision, but throwing it out there. And I think that desire to get in the game, to serve at great cost to yourself sometimes, is something that we can learn from. It's something that we can emulate in our own lives. It may not be to get us to a Super Bowl, but it may be to further advance the gospel here on earth. Let's pray.
Heavenly Father, we just thank you for men like James who took your word seriously. Men who wanted to push us in our faith to be more, to push us to get out of our comfort zone. Lord, I pray that you would give us opportunities this week and this month to respond accordingly, to live out our faith through our works. In your name we pray. Amen.